I'm Alexandra Kreis and you're listening to Outer Travel in a Journey. Journeying now for 30 years into the life and practice of yoga, I have met many who have taken interesting turns when past extraordinary bumps and reached unexpected places. People with whom I shared conversations about everyday struggles, intimate realizations, larger questions, ideas and dreams. So today, I'm passing on the mic to one of them so we could hear and celebrate the wisdom in people's differences and experiences. Welcome to Outer Travel in a Journey. On my show today is Jatour Pierre. Hello there. Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, Jator, today? Uh, I'm enjoying the Danish summer. Uh, and enjoying the sun. Beautiful. So you heard that bit already about Jator. He is currently based in Denmark, um, where he works as a holistic health coach. So that's what we're going to talk about first. <laughs> <laughs> the very simplest question that everybody wants to know, including myself, you know, Why did you become a holistic health coach? What drove you to pick up that profession? Yeah. I think um, originally uh, when I was um, 15 years old, um, I started, I was obese as a, as a kid. And when I was 15, I started to get into um, nutrition in magazines and movement and um, weightlifting, et cetera. Mm. And um, that brought me to a place called the Czech Institute eventually about 10 years later uh, in the United States, which is uh, a deep dive into corrective holistic exercise kinesiology, as well as a deep dive into uh, you know, how the body functions and interacts with emotion, organs and glands, uh, the microbiome. And um, that continued to spark my interest in terms of just human beings and human nature. And, and to be very honest, myself, I've always been very curious mm -hmm. about myself and why I do what I do. Uh, and then that grew into a deep uh, fascination with Uh, psychology and um, I guess what some would call spirituality and understanding and exploring my shadow and uh, my unhealed or unintegrated wounds or traumas or uh, hmm. looking at the repetitive patterns that show up in my life and how they continue to play out. And I got yeah. very curious about, well, There, there, there has to be more here that's unexplored or unturned over as a theme. And um, yeah, I just dove deeply into exploring all of my inner workings and, and still do. Um, I'm completely fascinated by uh, our thoughts, our emotions, our feelings. I'm completely fascinated by how we can carry so much of our past around with us and how we can project that out into every moment or every person or everything. Um, I'm fascinated by why we repeat patterns and 
uh, perceive ourselves to be stuck. Um, I'm fascinated by fear and shame and the fear of fear and the shame of shame fascinates me. Um, yeah. So, and can I just jump right in there? Because yeah, please. We do. are in the fear of fear stage, you know, like, I mean, yeah. we are in the deepest fear stage that we kept that was being manifested without wanting to become political here, you know, like, but mm. we're, we're, if you're listening to this, maybe out of sync, but we are still, you know, in the pandemic, the Corona pandemic, and there's been a lot of kind of, my eyes fear monging around certain things and how we should and shame shame around how we should feel mm. around people that are dying so i don't know is this turning up currently in your work as in noticing as as people show up to your work with these yeah. kind of current related fears and um, shame yeah most definitely and i'm i'm really excited that you brought the topic up uh, the topic of uh, the fear of death and also uh, making death wrong, almost like an unnatural process. And that birth and life is only what's celebrated and how we're so ashamed of dying and afraid of dying and how that drives so much of our, um, our medical perspective, our, mm. uh, our taking care of what we believe taking care of other perspective is and uh, the idea of then giving ourselves a way to make sure that other people don't die also facilitates a, a story that many of us play out in our lives, which is uh, I won't be myself so other people can like me. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. I mean, you've, yeah, you know, you're hitting one button after the other with me because this is all I'm investigating and, you know, helping people currently with because it comes up. It seems to become, you know, it seems to come up with everything we're going through. So coming back to that very question that I asked before, you know, how, what do you teach and how do you teach and how do you coach or how do you facilitate this? Can you talk a little bit from your perspective? Yeah. Um, well, I just got off a coaching session with a, a group of coaches a, a moment ago. And what we were sharing in there, um, we were having a session with somebody that um, carries, at least in my perspective, a lot of shame about self. Mm. Uh, the, the deepest shame of, uh, I'm afraid of, of who I am. I'm also afraid of who I am not, which creates a really interesting bind and this person um, is extremely intellectually based and uh, very, very good at linear story. So the session essentially was uh, creating, co-creating a space with him uh, mm. to allow him to start to feel his emotions again, to start to feel his sensations again, uh, to start to feel himself again because he in in my projection uses language and incessant speaking to make sure no one can touch him metaphorically and so that he can't actually touch himself mm. so the reason why i bring this up as a as a session to kind of explore what i do um, many of us have lost the self permission to even feel 
ourselves, our emotions, our experiences back to childhood. Uh, many of us experienced shaming scenarios that some of us deem, you know, it's easy to see overt shame. It's very hard to see subtle shame. Mm. And so an example of subtle shame would be uh, your child is crying and or throwing a tantrum. Mm. And instead of getting close and meeting that child and saying, it's okay that you're feeling what you're feeling. Mm. I'm here and I'm here to support you through that. What many parents do is use a pacifier or try to distract or try to take away because many parents have their own fear and shame about their emotions, feelings, and sensations. Mm. So when they see the child expressing that, they need to shut that down because of what that means about them. Mm. And then that just proliferates the situation. So back to this client, we spent an hour helping him find safety and security and refinding the permission to start to feel again without fear and shame of being feared and shamed by the outside world or the inside world. Hmm. And how do you create such a container as an exercise? Because as you say, you know, um, look, I come from a long background of yoga and I think mm -hmm. what yoga brought to me was, you know, coming back into feeling and experiencing myself. Mm -hmm. And little did I know in my 20s that that was what I needed. Um, if anything, you know, like, uh, I think there's also the other extreme that people feel too much. I don't know whether mm -hmm. that kind of uh, reoccurs yeah. to you with the shame and fear kind of thing, you know, like fear of exploring all these emotions. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, the question was, you know, like, what is the practical, you know, on take then on the situation besides talking to it if somebody is so talkative, you know? Yeah, a beautiful question. Um, and I think, you know, you're actually demonstrating part of the process. The process is uh, often asking invitational questions, not pushing an agenda. And so most of my practice is about asking questions for mm -hmm. clients to find their own answers. And so in this session, um, we invited some space of, of silence, of him bringing up some feelings that he was feeling when we first got on. I asked, well, what are you feeling right now? And he started to talk about confusion, out of balance, some fear. So we spent seven minutes just dropping into fear, just closing our eyes and inviting in saturation and allowance of his fear. And then I asked him after we went through that process, I asked him, what was his experience like? Mm. And he started to give voice to what was going on in terms of his body during feeling his fear and he started to get then very precise and started to explain where he was feeling it and I asked him another question I said do you notice how you're already using your language to stay away from your feelings mm. and that struck him and then we paused in silence for about 20 minutes 
where he closed his eyes and really sank into, I didn't invite that, he did that, and sank into himself, his body, his awareness, and moved out of his, uh, my experience, his incessant talking to stay away from himself. And then when we moved out of that slowly, then we went into, um, I asked him uh, an intuitive question and I asked him in, to not think into this. I asked, would you be willing to tell me the first number that pops up when you felt the greatest amount of fear? He said, seven years old. Mm. I said, cool. Uh, uh, and I experienced myself to be highly intuitive. I think all human beings are. I just think some people have shame about their intuitive nature, so they don't know they're intuitive. <laughs> so I asked them, well, um, I got a hit. What, when was, um, what was your experience like when your dad turned your, his back on you when you were seven years old and brought up a ton more emotion? Mm. And then we sat with that. And then we did some imagery around him uh, reconnecting with his father and hearing his father's experiences and his father's emotions and his seven-year-old's experiences and his seven-year-old emotion and slowly not bringing them together because the seven-year-old was still very untrusting of being even touched or being around his father. So we asked the seven-year-old, what's appropriate for your father to do? Can he touch you? No. Can he sit by your bed? Yes. And then we went through a process of doing some um, intentional work with his dad toward his seven-year-old that a seven-year-old was comfortable with. And at the end of the session, he said, um, I don't think I've ever had the permission to feel. Mm. And in that session, there's a lot of coaches and, you know, as a theme, coaches think their job is to lead to tell people what to do and to be, um, you know, the, the guru or whatever. And in our mm. practice as a, as what I do as a coach, it's, it's yeah. invitational and the client's leading. Mm. Um, and he had never had the permission to allow himself to feel and be deeply in silence. Yeah. It brings up so, so many layers, what you're talking about, you know, A, the first question that appeared is like, how did we manage to fall apart as a society, as a smaller group of, you know, like uh, family, friends, to really shame us and make us so disconnected from everything that, you know, we don't even feel our feelings anymore, that we became literally the rats in the rat race, you know, like mm. chasing the next opportunity to be seen then probably not experiencing this fully. And then um, on the other layer of, you know, because you're men here, you know, like I do talk to women coaches and mm. I talked to a woman coach before, as I said, you know, we talked about intimacy and the, the ultimate kind of barrier in even, even you know, these smaller modules where women can integrate feelings faster maybe because they do experience their emotions more often you know like and now you're coming as a male coach and I mean that with all respect you know and just 
noticing how men are so deprived and still, you know, incarcerated almost with uh, in these old-fashioned models of 1960s. I have to lead and I have to be strong and start feeling. <laughs> this is like, wow, this is a whole, you know, bouquet of uh, conversation you're bringing up with. That, uh, um, yeah, is that, is that something you noticed yourself? Um, like, you know, the first question, of course, is very kind of a long thought, you know, like how can we make that and how did that happen in our society, even though we went through the revolution of the 60s, you know, and um, still are coming back through the industrialization to become so so shameful and fearful. What's, what's your, um, maybe we'll start with that one, you know, what's your perspective on that? Well, that's a small question. Come on, brew yourself another cup of tea, dear listener. We're in this now. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I will be the first to admit that is, um, there's so many, I think, potential threads to that question. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll maybe I'll pick a couple. Um, uh, one thread that I see is uh, is the family of origin. Um, I think our uh, our families of origin. Uh, one of the biggest challenges is many families uh, function from a place of loyalty, and they function from a place of loyalty out of fear. Uh, you need to fit into the family value. Uh, and be who I need you to be so that I can feel good about myself. Many parents, this probably get me in trouble. Uh, my experience of many parents um, <laughs> uh, that I coach, uh, you know, often parents have children uh, to have someone to live through. And that is a level of um, emotional uh, can be a level of emotional, uh, mental, uh, spiritual, intuitive, uh, and as we know, physical, uh, inappropriate use of a child. Hmm. And so when we have parents who are shame-based and fear-based and hurt having children, um, then it becomes very likely that the child will also learn fear-based and shame-based values and functioning, which then just proliferates the system. Uh, so from a family of origin perspective, it's a rare bird or a rare child who decides to go through consciously or uh, gets introduced to the individuation process to break out of family values uh, and learn to become their own person, not out of disrespect, uh, but out of respect to the gift that the parents gave, which would be, from my perspective, DNA, um, and the gift to self of self-respect to look at your values, explore your values, and decide which one of these are even my values. Mm. Which one of these do I actually still subscribe to? And one thing I, I offer a lot of people to consider how attached they are to still being a child in their parents' presence is a very simple question. 
um, how many of you, when your parents are coming to visit, change the way that you live? Clean your house in a different way. Hide things that you normally don't hide. That is all symbolic of the inner child in you that's still attached to meeting your parents' values and not representing self. And that becomes then a, a larger picture from origin, family of origin, into culture. It's not okay to be different. It's not okay to look at things in a different perspective. And because we're so shame and fear-based, when we do share different perspective or we do share different ways of thinking and being, that is usually attacked or shamed rather than having nuanced dialogue because many of us learned as children out of loyalty to communicate in a very blaming and shaming and violent way. I don't know anyone on the planet that I've met that grew up in a household <laughs> except for the one that, you know, some of my friends and I are, are consciously doing with ourselves, our family and our children hmm. um, to move away from this blaming and shaming language in, in the household to this acknowledgement, understanding, respectful. And for me, respect is like what I say to my daughter all the time. Um, you are as celebrated for your feelings when they're challenging, angry, rageful, hurtful, as you're just as celebrated there by me as when you're joyous, excited, and, and meeting my needs. Mm, mm. Or Today, she had a, she goes to a Steiner school. She had a, a summer party, and I was working. Mm. and I, I wanted to go and I also need to work yeah. and the, they uh, my wife and daughter got home and they were outside uh, playing in the um, uh, water hose and having a good time so I finished my work and I went outside before getting on with you mm. and um, I know what it's like to be a child where a parent doesn't show up she's three and a half and most people say she doesn't even notice that and I say, BS, she definitely notices that. Yeah. So when I saw her, I waited till I had her attention and we had eye contact. Mm -hmm. And then I kneeled down and looked at her in her eyes. And I said, I apologize for not being at your, your get together to get today. Mm -hmm. It was super important to me. And mm -hmm. I had to work. And I promise the next time that we have that, I promise I'll be there uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and acknowledge you in that way. So bringing that level of awareness and mindfulness and thoughtfulness and consciousness into our homes, yeah. I think is one reason why it doesn't change out here in society. And mm. maybe it's cliche, but I think that's where it needs to start is with conversations like this ourselves and then not just having the conversation, but going home and implementing the practice with each other on a daily basis and, yeah. and that seems to be where the, the big challenge is and that's where i also felt like where we also have an opportunity because i know a lot of those listeners out there on on my podcast you know they are embarking on the spiritual journey on 
And spiritual journey to me is first the self-discovery, you know, like mm. who am I? And then kind of mm. to, to unfold that uh, away from the things we do, but the connections we make, you know, and the inner connections we make. And so that is an opportunity if we're not afraid of kind of looking at the darkness in us, because a lot of who kind of went onto the spiritual path like you know I went there like three decades ago (laughs) like um, that was to me um, to quote a title of a book you know I was a light chaser you know and Mm. I was and I was chasing away from the darkness in me you know Mm. I wanted to be a better person not knowing why my emotions would upset my, you know, like, or the way I am, my parents so much, we're coming back to that, you know, first mm. educational and um, formative um, presence. And now I see that it, coming back to that the world has shifted in these kind of old fashioned traditions of spirituality into new leaders. You know, that are not afraid to look at the psychology findings like Jung. I mean, you talk about shadow work, so mm. that's only 100 years old. But it's been underlying those uh, spiritual paths that we watch other people going successfully because they become compassionate, open, and, mm. you know, all-inclusive all of values of other people. Um, I love that. And Yeah, and... The, the darkness, you know, the shadow, as Jung calls it, is so included in the spiritual work. You know, it's been described as asuras, as demons, as anything. If you look a little bit closer, at the, if you're interested in that kind of thing, uh, mm. you listener or you detour, you know, it may, maybe you have your own experiences there. It's been described, but never kind of, it's almost that, oh, yeah, there will be a passage where it's difficult, but I'm jump over it and then on the other side I find the light and it's in those daily daily actions that you mentioned you know I find that I you know really meet my shadow as you call it and my uh, you know express truth and fear if anything you know so Mm, uh, yeah I I really appreciate that perspective and uh, I completely agree which means we're right and um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I love the, the light the light chaser, the light chaser um you know I, the the spiritual bypassing um i think sometimes what um what which i've fallen prey to myself um you know looking into the light is also blinding and um you know when i'm in my when I'm outside in the world, in the darkest places where there are no lights, I get to see the brightest stars. Mm. And I, I got to a place of, of getting curious of why, why don't I want to look at these parts of me? And when I asked that question, eventually what came up is I must have some level of fear and shame that I'm hiding from, which is why I don't want to look. And so if I really want to know myself, I need to look as well where I don't want to look because from my perspective, 
those parts of self are the parts of self that have been shamed and feared the most who paradoxically need the most amount of acknowledgement, attention, hearing, understanding, working with, um, so that they can come to the light to be integrated and so that we can become more whole. And my experience of that type of work what I'm experiencing in myself is um, more and more acceptance of all of these aspects of me. And as I'm learning to accept all of these aspects of me, even the parts of me that I'm afraid to learn to accept, that mm. I want to hide from the outside world, that I want to hide from myself, as I start to acknowledge and work with those parts too, or play with those parts too, my level of compassion, respect, and empathy for myself grows. And that natural outpouring goes toward other people, no mm. matter what their perspective is. And it's not a, like, I love that you, you said that jump. It's not a, it's not, I'm a light chaser and I'm jumping all over the shadow and just saying, I accept you as you are. Everything is as it should be, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I get that. I get that desire and it makes me salivate too. But <laughs> authentically, I think to get there, we have to go through this, the, the, the trudge and the mud and, and the beauty in mm. that and define that so that we can really learn to understand and accept ourselves authentically right. to then really, really speak the word of acceptance to someone else, not from here, but yeah. from here. Yeah, from the, he's pointing at the heart. He's uh, yeah. He was pointing <laughs> at the head and then at the heart. So we don't mm. do it through thinking, but through feeling, which we started with in your example. Yeah. And it makes me aware of the old saying, you know, if, if you had imagined there, the world would be just sunshine, you know, and there was, would be permanent sunshine, which is like chasing the light to me, mm. you know, what would, would the planet Earth look like? You know, it wouldn't survive. It would need to be a different kind of place. And, um, and that we, you know, because we close our eyes at night, we keep forgetting that it still exists and we wake up to the daylight and the possibilities a lot of the time and um that is in the in the night we really kind of experience uh the deeper layers of us even by dreaming i don't know how much you're in you know like you incorporate dream work in your in your coaching but, i have um, done dream work i'm i'm not a dream work coach but i enjoy it um, yeah, I think it's beautiful work. And there's a famous psychologist, which I don't remember his name, but he said um, something like uh, not exploring your dreams is a is a life half lived. So mm. I definitely explore, yeah. <laughs> definitely explore my dreams. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's so I, and if, if I look a lot at mythology these days, you know, and if you're a particular European mythology and there is always that story around the darkness you know the heroine the hero they need to go and 
slay a dragon, go into the depth of water, you name it, you know, um, to come up as the heroine or the hero mm. and or the light or the awakened person. We can mm. kind of extend that vocabulary or as an integrity, you know, like as a human being with integrity. That's what we're talking about without mm. using um, mm. too much spiritual uh, terminology for those who are not interested. But um, I, I really appreciate that. One of the one of the places that I found super helpful to, to my own kind of exploration of the uh, shadow or the parts of self that we, we don't want to see was, um, interestingly enough, uh, there is a, a Netflix documentary called, uh, actually it was on Netflix, it was on National Geographic or something like that, called um, One Strange Planet. Uh-huh. And it was a, a seven or eight part series And the documentary was a lot of kind of current science, uh, but from an astronaut's perspective. And the really interesting thing about astronauts, which I've never considered, is that every astronaut, at least, you know, in this movie, have had this very similar experience of that when they've gone to space, it's actually shifted their entire consciousness. Because when you can get out there, you're actually seeing how everything is interconnected and one and necessary, wow. inclusive of the light and shadow, inclusive of death and life, inclusive of war and pain, inclusive of all of the turmoil that we deem on the planet all has a beautiful purpose that continues the proliferation and expression of life in different ways. Hmm. And seeing that, was always a big moment for me of, of kind of shifting from this fully like good or bad or positive or negative and really starting to look at things as necessary to be curious about them, to be curious about myself and all of the uh, natural interactions and intricacies that are happening inside of me in, in, in the same sense that happened on planet earth or in the universe for that matter. And, that was really helpful and, and softening to myself to be a part of that story yeah, uh, in a very interesting way. So I, I don't know why that came up, but <laughs> I wanted to share it. I, I absolutely love it because we talk, I mean, I asked you about the practicality of kind mm. of moving into your shadows and, you know, the spiritual world is full of these sayings and pictures about like, you know, the light belongs to the darkness and the other way around. And, but you just brought it down into a really, you know, an example that we can all relate to these days because we have the technology and we can access these movies mm. to, to understand as well. Um, I thought yeah. it was, it was cool too, because um these astronauts and it it was astronauts and it was very science based which i thought was cool because um that that very kind of a linear perspective for those people with that amount of linear rational thought to be able to actually fly to you know to the moon or whatever <laughs> it takes a tremendous amount of linear thinking and rational thought to put it together yeah in some sense 
for those people to have this awakening process happen by just being exposed to seeing the planet from space. I mean, that, I mean, when I say it and when I think about it, I can feel a shift in my body. I can feel a, like a, a lightening. Um, yeah. And to see, see it from that perspective and to watch all the intricacies of nature and the life and death cycle normalizes the life and death cycle. Oh, wait a second. There's been five, I can't remember, global deaths on this planet, historically, at least what science can tell. Mm -hmm. And what that means from a scientific perspective is all life was wiped out on the planet five times, except for a little bit of life. Mm. And then that life has proliferated in a new way and created new stuff and new expressions. And then it got wiped out again. And then came back every time there's a little bit of life left. I mean, that speaks so much to, to my experience of, of the spiritual journey of looking inside of myself, getting to know myself, the life and death cycle of that, uh, the transmutation of, of pain and suffering into understanding and purpose. I mean, it's so cool. <laughs> At least for me, it's so cool. Yeah, it's really, I mean, and then I kind of immediately think about how individual lives we live in the Western world, where if we don't have a purpose, you know, like, if we don't see the purpose to our life, you know, mm. then there is no purpose. And we all mm. chase a purpose, you know, like, oh, I'm doing this for a purpose, <laughs> you know. And, and But maybe it's just that we contribute to evolution by, you know, collecting data or giving data into the stratosphere and into the unified field by uh, living the life cycles we do and that we have to go in order for the world to evolve you know because evolution is everything that's going to happen ever you know that idea of thunder the expression of expansion everything needs to expand and then it contracts in order to expand new so the five life cycles you talked about are the five best, you know, greater death. That that was just a um, contraction yeah. at a very part, mm. you know, for us to move forward. Um, yeah. I I really appreciate what you shared. Um, I think in, in some regard, uh, it's it's one of the it's one of the he heaviest weights that people carry. Uh, and that is the belief that you're not on purpose. Mm. Uh, mine's the opposite. Uh, show me who would be, show me a human being who isn't on purpose. I don't think it's possible. Whether we perceive it as purposeful from our ego's mm. perspective, I think is another story. Uh, this will be an interesting statement for me. Uh, someone who doesn't believe they are on purpose. Uh, the level of arrogance and self-righteousness and hidden shame that comes with that statement is amazing. Mm. Uh, mm. That's like saying, I, it's, it's literally saying, I disagree with the mind of God. I disagree with the mind of the universe. I'm not on purpose because I don't perceive that I am based on my yeah. ego's agenda. 
<laughs> very refreshing couture, they are. <laughs> I could be here, you know, like I feel like we could fill hours with this conversation. Totally. Uh, <laughs> Super fun. <laughs> oh my God. But I think we gave a little bit of taste of your kind of work. And we haven't, sorry, I forgot to mention that we do actually have a company who coaches people in this holistic health coaching that is, as I understand now, based around uh, pain, shame, and stories, you know, false stories and beliefs. Is that right? Or Yeah. Um, uh, as we're talking about here, um, you know, from my perspective, it's all interconnected. So we do, my main work with clients is on pain, shame, hidden shame, fear, fear, and that type of work. Uh, our company, though, has coaches that uh, do that type of work as well as do gut healing and lifestyle and sleep and movement. And um, I believe that's all part and parcel of the human experience and is also important to be mm. at least considered and acknowledged. Um, and so we work with all of that um, nutrition. Um, uh, but it's all driven from the place of um what's going on in our mind and what's going on in our heart and how we are uh, getting in our own way. And um, I'll use the language of self-sabotage, which I really don't agree with self-sabotage as a mm -hmm. language in itself. I believe mm -hmm. self-sabotage is just a mechanism that another part of self is using to survive. So it's not mm -hmm. actually sabotaging for me. It's more of a way of protecting and creating safety and security that isn't working out for us now, mm -hmm, <laughs> um, at mm -hmm. least in the way that we want it to. Uh, so we do that kind of work uh, with our clients and um, my experience. Maybe you wanted, sorry, just yeah. to get yeah, that yeah. one in, you know, because some people don't like to read the show notes where you can get the links to his website, but can you just name the? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> the <company>. uh, <laughs> well, the company is uh, Whole Being and that is spelled H-O-L-B-E-I-N-G dot com, whole being. Um, mm. we're, um, we're in the middle of growing. So that's the, the main site right now, uh, but mm. it's not fully complete. That's the site to our group coaching and our, our coaches and, and what we're building. Um, of course, I'm on Facebook. Um, as Jator Pierre, I'm on Instagram as at, at get whole healing H O L as my Instagram handle. Um, that's plenty. The rest needs to be looked up on the thank <laughs> cool. you. So it's not to have a long stream of yeah. www. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> not, um, but you were, I interrupted you at that very point of where you talked about what you're doing and, you know, the mm. holistic part of it just came through, I think. Oh. Yeah, I was, I was going to share that. Um, it's really, it sounds funny to say for me because I, I, I'm guessing everyone says it's really transformative work. Um, it's really beautiful work getting to know ourselves in the presence of others. It's mm. really beautiful work. Uh, co-creating space where we're learning to have permission to feel, express, and, and mm. be ourselves again. Um, it's really beautiful work to learn to, to set healthy limits and boundaries with the outside world. Mm. Um, I think from my perspective, one of the most 
spiritual things we can do is not to be a step rug, but to learn how to represent ourselves uh, and learn how to set healthy limits and boundaries and be honest. I think that's an underrated um, spiritual uh, virtue. And so is playfulness. <laughs> yes, it is. And to be playful and okay with the dark parts of us, that's what I all, mm. always kind of find when I do my own shadow, shadow work. You know, it's mm. like the playfulness around it. So what, you know, like I love. I like that part very much. I don't want to be in a holistic body all the time. You know, I like to do mm. some, some things that are not so great for my body. I totally enjoy that. Yeah. I thrive on it, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I'm that's the, fun too. the balance. Yeah, and it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, thank you so much. That was a delightful afternoon for me, I hope for you too. Yeah, for me as well. And I'm super thankful to have me on and, and honored to be here. Thank you, sister. Hmm. And thank you, dear listener, for following us once more into the deep and darkness of ourselves and our souls and the possibilities hmm. that you can create for yourself. I think that's very clear now. There is, you can create that and co-create that. You don't need to do that by yourself. Hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. <laughs> Bye for now. See you Bye. next time. <laughs>